Well, it's me again, Margaret. I can tell there's not many people that <laughs> remember that phrase. Yeah, you have to be a little older and have to enjoy Ray Stevens, but uh, I want to talk to you today about being perfect. And uh, well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for man all of all of the blessings that you give us, Lord. Father, we just thank you that uh, you've allowed us to be your children. And Lord, I just ask that uh, as I bring these words today, Father, that you just uh, let the ones that are from you, Lord, be the only words that remain. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Well, several months ago, I spoke to you about uh, some expectations that I had that led to uh, performance acceptance lifestyle for me. And uh, so as a kind of a foundation for this, I'm going to give you a kind of a recap of that and then we'll move forward. Um, when I was 10, I lost my dad to a car accident. And uh, prior to this time, he was very wrapped up in his work and uh, he had purchased the family blacksmith business and, and uh, was trying to branch out into some other areas, uh, one being custom farming and harvesting. And... Uh, do this, he was working very long hours and was not around the house very much. And uh, so I knew my father, but I really didn't know him. Um, this was partly due to my age. I mean, you know, you don't, you're in bed when they come in, you're still in bed when they leave of the morning and things like that. Uh, but a lot of it was due to his work taking him away from home. Uh, however, I really didn't realize until the last few years how that had really influenced my life and what effect it had. Uh, you know, my dad was a good man. This is what I did last time. You know, uh, I know that he uh, he loved his family and one of the driving filters was that his love for his family and his need to maintain family uh, was one of, the, one of the things that came down to me in a very significant way. Uh, when my dad died, it was in October of 1965, and his family at that point consisted of an 18-year-old son, a 14-year-old daughter, me at 10, a 4-year-old daughter, and a three-month-old baby girl. Uh, my brother had graduated in May of that year and was making his own plans for his life, and he stayed around a real short time. And uh, then he took a job with the railroad. He was a relief agent, so he was all over the Santa Fe Railroad line in little podunk towns here and, here and there that had depots at that point and was taking vacation time. Uh, this left the rest of us at home. Now, please don't take this as in the wrong way. I'm not asking for sympathy. Uh, I just need to set the stage for what, what happened. Uh, and we, I had many good men in my, life, in, in my life, a lot of them from the church. And after this, you know, they came up to me and gave me this standard pep talk, and maybe you've done this to someone. 
If you have, I ask you to quit. But, you know, it was, it was like, you know, well, you know, you're the man of the house now. Your mom will need you and depend on you to help out. And, you know, you just need to step up and take, you know, pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with it. Well, uh, on the surface, that looks like a really good thing to say. I mean, you know, you're just trying to tell them, yeah, you know, help out, be a man, and all those kind of things. But seriously, I was 10 years old. And, you know, the, the bad thing about that is that these were men I looked up to. You know, these were men that I respected. And I took that advice from them, and I ran with it. I mean, I, I took it to heart. I began to look at how I could accomplish this. I started working full-time in the summer when I was 10 years old. And within two years, I was working every day after school and each summer to help with expenses for my family. You know, this is where my need to plan everything come about. Because it's, it's really hard to go to school, take care of your activities, come home, work all till you know, 8 or 9 o'clock, do those things. And uh, the deal is I didn't have much time for anything else. Now, I did, I did participate in band. That was the only extracurricular activity at school that I did participate in. And thank goodness I was blessed with being relatively smart, so my homework wasn't a big issue. Uh, but uh, it, it was a, quote-unquote, stressful time for me, but I didn't realize that at, the, at that time. But uh, as you can see, my model of work was directly related to the way that I knew my father worked. He was gone all the time, worked all the time, no, wasn't around the house, so that's kind of the model that I took on. And, uh, you know, all the time I was working, I was doing well at all the little jobs that I had from filling the stations to grocery stores to parts stores to everything else that I could come up with. Most of them were uh, men in the church that... You know, I'd walk up to and say, hey, do you have anything that I could do? You know, there was a point in time where I worked from uh, about, of course, we, we got out of school a little earlier. We got out of school about 3. I'd work from 3 to 6 because that's when they were open. And then I'd go to somewhere, someplace else and work from 6 to 10. And so things like that. And, and the men recognized that, and they kept me busy. So, you know, I had plenty of opportunity. Uh, you know, and I, and I was receiving kudos from all of them. Wow, you're doing a great job. You know, you're doing good, helping your mom, you know, doing all these things. And so that developed into this uh, lifestyle, you know, of, of that performing just to get that kudo, just to get that pat on the back, you know, working extra hard, working, you know, just to make sure that they did that. And if I didn't do good, I was crushed. I mean, it was... I just worked twice as hard the next time to try to make up for the, the things that I felt like I had failed at. So, you know, I could go on and on about this, but that's, that's the core. You know, that's the point that the performance acceptance was born, and it just began to flourish from there. Uh, you know, I had to be successful in everything, or I was letting my mother, those men, and everybody else around me down. So uh, the one thing that I could not accept was failure. Uh, then this, you know, that spawned the need into me to be uh, perfect. You know, whatever I did had to be just right or it was wrong. 
If it wasn't perfect, it was wrong. You know, I can't fail, so I must be perfect. If it's perfect, then it will not fail. So you, you get into that cycle. Uh, so these were the traits that were on board. I had only one model to follow, and that was the one that my dad had left. Work hard, work long, don't stop until you're finished and successful. This became my mantra. So looking back, you know, I found out during that time that it was very detrimental. I had some men here help me understand that. And I really got a hold of that in my work life. I mean, I really figured out that that, that was just killing me in my work life. But now I'd like to transition to something else. Something else that I realized was spawned from that. I want you to think about the word perfect. I want you to think about what you think it means. Give you a little while. Think about what you, when somebody says perfect, what do you think about? And I want you to, I want you to keep that in mind, you know, because the key to how you read perfect in God's word and how you interpret that is how you're going to live those things. So I found out that my need for uh, perfection not only permeated my work environment, but it became actual part and parcel to my entire life. You know, I thought when I recognized the detriment to my life and my work and corrected it, that I was getting rid of it. However, you know, all along I kept wondering, why do I still struggle with this? Why? You know, over here, I was dealing with it. I knew I was dealing with it. I could recognize it very quickly. You know, I'd see myself doing it at work and go, nope, I can't do that. You know, I've got to look at this differently. And, you know, but I realized that it started taking focus in other aspects of my life. This is where the subtlety of the enemy is so prevalent. Even the things that I did outside of work had to be perfect or they were not right. Now, to a lot of you guys, you probably see this as pretty self-evident that I was doing it in one aspect, so why wouldn't it permeate into the others? But the deception was in place, and I didn't see it. I I did not see it. And uh, it takes me a while, you know, to recognize this. I'm I'm a little hard-headed, and most of the time it takes the two before upside the head before I really recognize stuff. But so... uh, how did, how did this uh, revelation, this new revelation, come to me? Uh, well, it came to me after some discussion in a coffee shop one time, and we were talking about doing things right. You know, it's just another word for doing things perfectly. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There's not anything wrong with doing things correctly. You know, it's the motivation behind it that really is the key to, to what's going on. And But really, you know, that holds true with everything. It's our motivation. So as this discussion continued, uh, I started expressing my experience with the performance acceptance aspect. And it really didn't settle the issue at hand. It just kind of, I mean, it was out there and it, and it was good stuff, but it really didn't settle that issue. And I became puzzled as to, you know, why it was so clear, but yet, I couldn't get that clarity to resound when we were discussing in the coffee shop. This really continued to bother me. I mean, even during the, during the time that we were there and it, talking about it. And then Dorman uh, made a statement that uh, took me down a whole, whole new road. He talked about Matthew 5.48. And 
Matthew 5.48 says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, I know how I've looked at that for years and years and years. And so I began to think, what is this being perfect? What, what is he talking about? Well, you know me, so we let, let's go back to the original Greek. If you look at this scripture in the original context, in the original Greek, with all the proper inflections in place and all that, the statement is in an emphatic tense. It means it's a really strong statement. And the statement is not, be ye therefore perfect. Jesus is saying, you will be perfect. That's the actual translation there. You will be perfect. Now, that's a little different meaning. Now, if you, if you take that at face value, then you can see how a lot of people, well, this is progressive, something I have to work towards. But really, this is a prophetic statement on Jesus' part. Jesus is saying that I haven't gone to the garden, I haven't gone to the whipping post, and I haven't gone to the cross. So he's saying, you will be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is, is perfect. Okay? So, now keep in mind your interpretation of the word perfect. And I would assume that most of us, when I ask you that question, that meant that perfect to you meant without flaws, no faults, no sin, you know, a model of perfection. But we have to be careful there because if you look at the word for perfect and you start digging down into it, the word is teleos. Teleos really just means complete. And when perfect is used in the verse of be therefore perfect, it's not a statement of degrees of excellence. It's not that at all, but in the kind of excellence. Not degrees, but the kind. And it's not in the levels of perfection, but in a maturity or a completeness of your being. All right? So I hope now your interpretation of perfect is starting to roll over a little bit and get more in line with what, what God's Word says. So as I began to dwell on this new road, I began to see things in my life that were totally opposed to where I thought I was. I thought I had it under control. I wasn't doing the performance acceptance anymore. As far as I'm concerned, my bosses could take a flying leap off a cliff. You know, that was kind of the attitude I had. I was still doing the job and doing what I needed to do, but it didn't bother me if they didn't like what I was doing or didn't think that things were going right. You know, I thought, I think I've got it together. But, but, here's the but. As Norman said, there's always a but in there. And... Uh, so what I, what I began to see is that everything I was doing outside of my job still had to be perfect without flaws or it was junk. You know, I even see that this brought on within me some OCD for you to know that's obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, there's pills for that, but it doesn't work. 
But I got to thinking, you know, I'm not obsessive. You know, the, the, but it, you know, but let me give you an example. And, and you're, gonna, you're probably going to think this is really funny, but how do you eat potato chips or crackers, pretzels, or anything like that? Okay. Well, I tell you what I do. I dump them out into my plate, and then I fish around, and I find all the broken ones. And I eat all the broken ones first. Right? I mean, I'm telling you, this, I've done this all my life, as long as I can remember. So what is that? I'm getting rid of all the imperfect and leaving the perfect to last. All right? Now, if somebody else does that, I'd like to know, but I'm probably pretty, oh, thank God there's somebody else. <laughs> well, maybe this is for you. So, but, you know, seriously, I, th- that's one example but, and I know Gail will attest to this, but I've done quite a few things around the house in a variety of projects that I've done. And you know, when I get through, you know, the only thing I can see is the flaws. I can't see anything else but the flaws. You know, we, we've tiled bathrooms and all I can see is the slight, that grout line just kind of goes off a little bit on one tile. Nobody else sees it, but it's there. You know, Gail and I have done some embroidery and stuff, and I haven't been pleased with one thing that I've done, not one thing. I see a little thread out of place, or a little this, a little that. Okay, do you see where I'm going? See what I'm saying? Is that if it's not perfect, it's junk. Because my interpretation of perfect is no flaws, no faults, has to be picture perfect, or it's junk. And I didn't realize that until this. So, anyways. So, you know, I, just as I saw that, I just wanted to be right or good. Wanted to do my very best. Never, nevertheless, it was never flawless. So, as these things became more to the surface, and I started, as the Lord started really dealing with me about this, and I really thought this was going to be about something totally different when I started this, you know, every time I start one of these, I think I'm going to do something like everybody else does that's talking about something globally good, and it always comes back to, hey, dude, you know, you're pretty messed up. Let me talk to you about this. You know, you need to get this right. So anyways, I realized that I had just transplanted my performance acceptance from my work to my personal life. Now, when I step back and look at it, I realized that I was doing that all along. I'd just taken care of one aspect of it, and this one was still just as rampant as it ever was. It didn't just move. It just, I never saw this. And so, anyways, what it boiled down to is I was trying to perform for myself so that I could accept myself. It had nothing to do with others accepting me. Is that if I couldn't be perfect, I couldn't accept myself. And my expectations were no different than I had before in my work. It was the exact same motivation, the exact same deception, but I was doing it internally rather than externally. Okay. So, guess what? This is just, just, as, detri- Golly. This is just as detrimental 
as the other was, and it was so subtle that I couldn't see it. It was just that subtle. So if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you said that? I've said that a bunch of times, okay? This is all absolutely fine as long as the underlying motivation as unto the Lord. You know, the scripture in Colossians 3.23 means even more and makes more sense to me now than it ever has in the past. And that's what you've heard. And whatsoever you do, do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And that's where we stop. How many, how many times do you quote that verse and you say, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. But the scripture says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So basically it's saying, what I was doing was stopping at doing it unto the Lord. I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And I forgot about the as unto men because I was doing 99.9% of it as unto the men, not to, and me included in the men side. So we tend to equate to be perfect as something that I have to do. You know, there has to be some action, some work, or something that must be done to achieve this perfection. You know, we cannot do anything to achieve perfection. We cannot do anything to achieve perfection. Why? Because based on the biblical definition of perfection, we are already perfect. Jesus said, you will be perfect, being prophetic, and we are fully complete because of that. We are fully perfect. Remember, perfect is complete, but only in him. We as humans, or at least me, I still struggle with the concept of being complete. We still have to do something. There has to be something that I need to do. So you see that performance acceptance can take many forms. The enemy is very deceitful, and he can let it land in your life. And things that look to be very virtuous, but in reality are only things that will pull you down and bring you back into bondage of having to work for everything to be complete. The word perfect or forms of it, like perfection, perfected, perfectly, is used in the Bible 129 times. And in just the New Testament, it's used 60 times. In the entire Bible, whether Hebrew or Greek, the translation is still exactly the same, complete or accomplished. That's all it means. Perfect in all forms. In the New Testament, it's translated, <clears throat> it's translated as saved in Matthew 14, 36, made perfectly whole. As restored is perfecting. To restore is to perfect. Exact or exactly is perfectly. Physical wholeness, perfectly sound. Strengthening is perfection. Equipping is perfecting. So you see all the different ways that the Bible used the word perfect in a variety of forms, 
really has nothing to do with flawlessness, has nothing to do with no sin, okay? We've got to take the true meaning of this word and get it so deep in our being that we replace all the other concepts, and we've got to get down to the true context of what Jesus really meant when he said, be perfect, be ye therefore perfect. Another scripture I'd like to bring to your attention is John 19.30. We've quoted this verse in here so many times. When Jesus had therefore received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Funny thing about it is, the exact same word that Jesus used when he said, be, perf- be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, is the exact same word that he used when he said, it is finished. So the entire understanding of the people at that time, when Jesus said that, when he bowed his head, was, I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish. It is complete. Nothing more to do. No more work to perform. No more tasks to get done. No more nothing. Finito, terminado, nini, fertig. Those are four different words for complete, finished. It's complete. Okay? There's nothing else we can do. So if you want to be perfect, you can't work for it. There's no action that you can take. There's no nothing that can be done because you already are in him. The underlying factor is that you can do this, but only as a new man. We can do that good job. We can do what's, do, what's worth doing right because the new man doesn't have any ulterior motive. There's nothing that he's gaining or trying to gain by doing it. He, he the new man, can do everything perfectly or completely. That's why Jesus said... Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Only remember, he said you will be when he completed his work. Now you are perfect. You are perfect, but only in him. So the completeness or perfection is what we all have been looking at with with the, the words of exchange. We are complete in Jesus. In him, we are fully mature. Our new man is perfect. It has no sin, and it is flawless. Just as it says in Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So if you're in Christ, you're free. You're perfect. You're complete. You don't have anything else to do. There's no more work. There's no more tasks. There's no more actions to take. You just, that's where you got to sit back and rest. You can, own, you can do all things right, but only in him. You can fulfill the saying, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing correctly, but only in him. You can be without flaw, but only in him. You can be without faults, but only in him. And you can be without sin, but only in him. So, If we are truly living by the mind, the heart, the spirit, 
the rest, the strength, the love, the faith, and the life of another, then that's really all we've got to think about. That's who we are, and that's where we are, and that's how we live. You know, this is not a task or a work effort. This is just being in him, existing only by living by another. Can we truly understand the gift of being perfect? And until we fully embrace exchange and look at it this way, we will continue to work at being just as good as we can be, and we're going to fail every time. So I'm telling you, stop it now. Exchange your concept of being perfect and let yourself just be complete in him and nothing more. That's it. All right. It's three minutes till. It's finished. It's complete. It's perfect. <laughs>